0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kid Kong at the Movies. I am once again your host, the one and only Kid Kong. I am joined once again by Cal, the kaiju guy. What's up, everybody?
1: And all I've got to say is I'm pumped. I'm ready. I cannot wait to badmouth the Batman all through. Wait a minute. Oh, my bad. I I cannot wait to talk up the Dark
0: Knight Rises. I had the (laughs) wrong Batman movie, so yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It happens. Hey, as of right now, I'm planning on doing the Batman sometime in the summer. That's going to be the first one that I do that was... More than, or less than five years recent, and the only reason I don't want to do that is because I hate to potentially delve into spoilers here and there. I accidentally spoiled a part of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 today, because I took my daughter to see it, and she was very excited to see it, and I didn't think about it when I said something about it, and a friend of mine messaged me and says, I know you didn't do it intentionally, but you spoiled something from Sonic 2, and the next time I see you, I'm going to pin you down and pull your, all your armpit hairs out one by one. I'm not going to lie to you. I um you saw it you know, I, I mean no, I haven't seen it, but no the, the post that I made uh
1: no oh, okay good. but uh, I I do have a story, a very short story about how I potentially spoiled something, but luckily it seemed as if nobody caught it whenever it happened. Now we all remember whenever Captain America Civil War was coming out, and it was a big question on whether or not uh cap was going to die. Yeah. And so everyone was like, we don't know if he's going to die because Chris Evans was talking about potentially retiring and, like, this would be the perfect opportunity to kill him and all of that kind of stuff. Well, me, you know me, I don't give a hoot about spoilers. So the moment the spoilers hit the internet, I looked them up and, you know, I made a generic post on Facebook like, ha ha ha, I know the spoilers. I could ruin your day. Don't make me mad and all of that kind of stuff. And so I never went no further than that. But, um, So it was like maybe a day or two later because we knew that like uh, Infinity War and Endgame and all of that, we knew that that kind of stuff was coming eventually. And I posted a picture from um, a comic book of, I, I believe it was Fear Itself, of Captain America holding Mjolnir, you know, just one of the times that he was worthy. And I just made the post and was like, Do you guys think that maybe we'll get to see Cap actually wield Mjolnir one day? And there were some people that commented on there like, oh yeah, that would be cool and all of that kind of stuff. Nobody caught it. Nobody paid no mind to it. And I was sitting there, I was like, it was well after the movie had come out. And I was like, holy crap. Like that was a potential spoiler that I did by basically saying, I know what happens in the movie, but I'm talking like years down the line. I'm like, do you think we'll get to see Cap hold the hammer, so I pretty much let it drop.
0: That like, yeah, he does not die in the movie, but nobody. caught I don't it. think anybody would have thought nope. that because <laughs> the way that that is worded, that is like a potentially future meaning. Like we may not, have, we may have seen all of what we're going to see of Captain America right now, but he could come back later. Yeah, but nobody saw it. Nobody said anything about it, and like I was like, whew, boy, dodged a bullet on yeah. that one." <laughs> if you guys happen to hear any kind of slight noises in the background, my daughter has decided she wants to be present today while we're recording. She's seven years old, and she's currently sitting behind me. So, Normally, I do my best to watch my language on the show anyway, but I will have occasional words slip out. Today, I'm going to be trying doubly hard you, to make you, sure. You already dropped the F-bomb before we uh, even hit record. Yeah. So. <laughs> it, 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 it'll be okay. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. But well, today, okay, we're talking okay. about The Dark Knight Rises, the final film in the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy. Of course, it was directed by Christopher Nolan. It was written by Christopher Nolan and John Nolan, Jonathan Nolan. It also had contributions by David Es David S. Goyer was not a main writer on this, and I'll get to that in a moment. It's just a little simple thing. Same production companies, same distribution crew, same composers. Like, everything about this movie was pretty much the same. It had its worldwide premiere July 16th, 2012, in New York. It was originally scheduled to be for the, for the 15th, rather, but it ended up getting pushed back by a day, and I'll touch on that. And it had its greater U.S. and United Kingdom release July 25th. Its budget was between 250 and $300 million. However, because of where they were able to film, they were able to get some tax credits to where the net budget for the movie was $230 million, and it pulled in $1.081 billion at the box office, just barely above The Dark Knight. Recent synopsis of this. Years have passed since Batman has taken the fall for the crimes of Harvey Dent. Uh, eight years. Later. Eight years, yes, yeah. sir. Since uh, Batman took the fall for the crimes of Harvey Dent, And, you know, they've had eight years of clean streets, eight years of peace. What usually follows after eight years of peace? When something finally pops off and goes wrong, it goes very, very wrong. The League of Shadows returns, this time helmed by Bane. And Batman, at his advanced age, must come out of retirement to attempt to deal with that. To not quite expected results. It, much like the Dark Knight, received strong critical praise... And it was considered a satisfactory conclusion to a trilogy, which is actually a pretty rare feat to pull off in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, it's a very rare thing. And I've I've often told a
1: lot of people that uh, when it comes to a lot of movie trilogies and all that, you know, the first one's usually, eh, okay. The second one is usually like, wow, top dog, let's all applaud that. And then the third one is usually like, what were they thinking? Yeah. And this is one of the few trilogies in Hollywood that I can really think of to where like, from start to finish
0: it's like it's good all the way through same here um it misses out on the spot of my favorite overall trilogy just barely because i felt that war for the planet of the apes did a little bit better as a final movie in its trilogy as compared to the dark knight rises but the dark knight rises may have very well gone differently had heath ledger not died and we'll talk about that as well now once again we have a returning cast for this um Bruce Wayne Batman was Christian Bale. Christian Bale, uh, continued to train in the keyside fighting method. However, by his own request, he decided, he wanted to kind of modify it. it. that way it would reflect not only Bruce's age and his physical condition, but also what he would have to deal with with a stronger, more determined foe in Bane. So that's pretty, pretty smart of him to have done something like that. Um, Alfred was, of course, Michael Caine again. And Michael Caine felt that he needed to try and emphasize the emotional bond between Batman and Alfred. Whether or not he did a good job of emphasizing that emotional bond, considering Alfred is not present through roughly two-thirds of the film, is a little debatable. Um, Gary Oldman also return as Commissioner Gordon. You know, he, he took what they did for this movie, and he decided that Commissioner Gordon for this film, he needed to be like a tired soldier who's grown tired of peacetime and is leaping at any chance to actively do something he also carries immense guilt over everything that happened with Harvey Dent and at the beginning of the film is going to resign but decides not to which ultimately plays ultimately plays into when bane gets a hold of his manifesto where he reveals that you know dent didn't actually he wasn't a good guy like dent was the one who did this not the batman etc cetera, etc cetera didn't the mayor at one point did like towards the beginning
1: somebody said something about how the mayor was going to cut commissioner Gordon loose, and he said something like he's a
0: wartime commissioner and he's a wartime yeah they're yeah. like he's when he's like the mayor's going to cut him loose in the spring he's like well, he's a hero he's a war hero we're not in war anymore we're in times of peace Lucius Fox is once again played by Morgan Freeman Killian Murphy returns as Scarecrow and Liam Neeson reprises his role as Ray Shaw Ghoul in a hallucination which, I, to me, that was one of the weakest ways they could go about the immortality angle on Rachel Gould, but I'll, I'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, new cast members. We had Selena Kyle Catwoman, played by Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, of course, is in Princess Diaries. She provided a voice in The Cat Returns. She was in Devil Wears Product, Get Smart, Bride Wars. She was in Alice in Wonderland, Les Mis, Interstellar, and the most recent incarnation of Roald Dahl's The Witches that was released solely on HBO Max. Did you ever watch it? No. It's not good. I mean, I've got very
1: fond memories of the uh, the original. Oh, the original
0: one scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. So,
1: no, I mean, it didn't it didn't really bother me. I just really enjoyed it. And then whenever I saw they was doing a remake, it was one of those deals where I'm like, y- you know, this is a completely unnecessary remake. You're trying to
0: cash in on nostalgia. Yeah. And I, well, like, I gave no. it a chance <laughs> because they were like, it's going to be closer in tone to the actual book. And I'm like, wow, you know, I read the book and the first one was pretty damn close. Yeah. And then I watched this and I'm like, this is not as good as the first one. One, no, no, character of Maine was played by Tom Hardy. I've talked about Tom Hardy on the show before, give you a quick rundown. He's been in Black Hawk Downs, Sucker Punch, Rock and Roll, Bronson, Inception, Lawless. He was the titular Mad Max in Mad Max Fury Road while also appearing in Legend, Dunkirk, Venom, and he had his big TV break on Band of Brothers, which is outstanding from start to finish. The character of Miranda Tate now, this is going to be a minor spoiler here, but this movie's 10 years old now. Miranda Tate was a dual role, also as Talia Al Ghul, played by the beautiful Marion Cotillard. The so wonderful. Who, who's a fantastic actress. She's fantastic in so many different I, I know which ways you're lady. <laughs> She's a lovely woman. Uh, one of her big French-language films that she was in was Taxi. However, her biggest first English-language film was, of course, Big Fish. She's also been in Black Box, Public Enemy, Last Flight, Nine, Macbeth. She was in Assassin's Creed, and she was most recently in Doolittle. You're a big Assassin's Creed fan. Did you ever see the movie? Unfortunately. Not good. No, I don't. I don't oh, man. Don't, I'm sorry to hear I that. Care, I don't care for the movie. The character of John Blake, I will not refer to him as Robin, was Joseph Gordon Levitt. Joseph Gordon Levitt, of course, had film roles in Angels in the Outfield, 10 Things I Hate About You. He was in the Lookout, where his character's name was Chris Pratt, by the way. Uh, 500 Days of Summer, 50 50. Looper, which is actually a pretty damn good movie. I love Looper. I will defend it until the day I die. Yeah. It's, it's too bad that, you know, Bruce Willis has to retire because of a mental cognitive disorder called aphasia. You know, he's an awesome actor and I hate that it feels like he kind of went out with a whimper there. But if there's anything to take away from that, the Razzies did rescind their Raspberry Award to him for worst film, worst actor. They said he doesn't deserve this kind of negative praise in any way. You know, and... and, I did not know about that. That's actually really freaking cool. Yeah, they, they revealed that a couple days ago. He's also in Lincoln, Don John, and Knives Out. If you don't stop, I'm sorry, my daughter is playing with little weights and she's smacking them on the ground. It's distracting me. I've got severe ADHD, so any little thing will get me. Uh, Gordon's second-in-command and presumed successor, Peter Foley, was played by Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine, to me, is best known for his role in Full Metal Jacket, where he was Joker. Uh, Ben Mendelsohn, who appeared in Rogue One, appears as John Daggett, who is an amalgamation of multiple characters from the comics and animated series. Uh, Byrne Gorman, who was in Pacific Rim, you'll recognize him, the one with the cane, uh, portrayed Daggett's Vice President Philip Stryver. Alain Abutbo, I'm sorry about that pronunciation, was in Fringe. He played nuclear physicist Leonard Pavel, and Juno Temple plays as Selena Kyle's accomplice. Nestor Carbonell does return as Mayor Garcia, if only for a moment. And multiple members at that time of the Pittsburgh Steelers, as well as former coach Bill Cowher, appear as members of the Gotham Rogues football team. Well, Ben Roethlisberger, Marquise Pouncey, Heinz Ward, uh, Troy Polamalu. The kicker for the team that they play against is actually the mayor of Chicago, who was a hell of a punter in college, (laughs) which I thought that was pretty cool. And, of course, once again, Senator Patrick Lee also returns in this film. Following the death of Heath Ledger, Christopher Nolan was very hesitant about making a third film. He, Many aspects of what was to be in the third film with him ended up having to be changed and vastly rewritten to accommodate a third film because while they ended up compressing aspects of it and putting Dent into the second movie, Becoming Two-Face, which was initially supposed to take place in the third movie, there were still plans of using the Joker in the third movie. Heath Ledger was very looking forward to doing that. And we're going to talk about some of the potential things they were going to do here in a little bit. Uh, And unfortunately, because of that, Nolan elected not to recast the Joker out of respect for Ledger and his family. And felt that in order to make a third film, Nolan really wanted to... He wanted you to get an emotional attachment, a real investment in the characters that were on there. And he knew that that was going to be a tall order after such a thing had occurred. Because the death... It cannot be overstated that the death of Heath Ledger really cast... Almost too tall of a shadow for the Dark Knight series to really have a satisfactory conclusion out of. I say almost, because I do think they did as good a job as they could have. Well, you know, the Dark
1: Knight Rises, he was already going to be fighting an uphill battle, just because it was following the Dark Knight. Yeah. Whether Heath Ledger died or not, like, it was going to be a very tough act to follow. It was. And the fact that he did die, like, yeah, that that made it an even, even tougher act to follow
0: and to that end he's like if we can't have a worthwhile story here if it's not gonna be he didn't he was really concerned about getting bored midway through making the movie that was the biggest thing about him in december of 2008 prior to committing to uh, inception nolan did complete a rough outline no casting was done but gary oldman was pretty confident that christopher nolan would return While he was making Inception, the studio began making their own moves on what they wanted in this third film. The studio wanted the Riddler. They felt that the Riddler would have been able to continue the same kind of storyline that they had going with the Joker, and even reached out to and discussed with Leonardo DiCaprio taking the role without anything else being made. The the script was not written. Other cast members were not committed. they, They went out of their way to do that. I, I remember those rumors, and uh, I want to say that I also
1: remember, didn't they reach out to Johnny Depp or something? Johnny Depp
0: was considered at the time, yeah. but he was not willing to commit to that because he had too many uh, things going on with Disney, with Pirates of the Caribbean and a couple other things that he was doing at that time, which that's that's understandable. Christopher Nolan completely disregarded what the studio wanted. He said, no, if you want me to make this movie, you're not going to make these decisions for me. He wanted to use a different character and after looking at several members of the rogues that Batman has, he chose one that he, by his own admittance, was not terribly familiar with. Bane. He knew very, very little about it. He knew that Bane was the one who broke the back and that's what drew drew him to that because the idea of this is somebody that's not only going to be able to match Batman on an intellectual level, this one's going to be able to overmatch him on a physical level, especially if he's been out of action for as long as he has he just the fact that he was just so diametrically different to what the Joker was you know the Joker you know he was diabolical this chaotic you know anarchy with a devilish sense of humor if you will was what was really great about that whereas Nolan felt that Bane if done properly would be more like a classic movie monster but with a terrific brain to it like think if Frankenstein's monster had the brain of a genius while still having quick reflexes. That kind of thing is what he was thinking of. And, you know, that's a pretty good move, if you ask me. It's a good way to try and switch that out. Oh, yeah. And for those who are familiar with Bane and are familiar with the Nightfall storyline, you know, that's... The moment we saw Bane as this villain, we knew exactly what was going to happen to Batman.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there was nobody... No, I was, no,
0: nobody didn't know. Nobody walked into that movie going, "I wonder if this is going to happen." The only like, thing I was curious about was how they were going to handle the aftermath, because in the comics, Batman's spine is healed mystically. There is no mysticism in Christopher Nolan's trilogy.
1: I mean, they some... did
0: nothing with Jean Paul Valley. There was no Azrael. There was none of that with this. Yeah. No. I mean, there's some, there's some very sketchy cave work. As to how his brother. How yeah, was that's, that, that's always kind <laughs> of bothered me. And uh, in addition to taking, of course, the uh, cues from already existing storylines with Bane, Christopher Nolan was also fascinated with the novel A Tale of Two Cities. You know, he, he homaged that multiple times throughout the film. I mean, there's at one point Bane is finger knitting some using like parachute cord. That was a direct reference to Madame Defarge from. Tale Two Cities. Have you read Tale Two Cities? No. Nope. <clears throat> Look, I saw the Wishbone episode. <laughs> you know what? That's good enough to me, honestly. I was, I was about to say that I had to read it in school, and I didn't really enjoy it in school. I read it as an adult, and I'm like, okay, this is better than I remembered it being. But at the same time, it's not something that I would actively choose to read just for the hell of it. My favorite thing that can sum this up is that episode of Third Rock in the Sun where Dick Solomon is sitting at his desk in the college. He's got a big stack of books. He opens up A Tale of Two Cities and reads the opening. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. He flips all the way back and goes, I'm not reading 518 pages He can't make up his damn mind in the first sentence. Like, that always stuck in my mind. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of classic literature. You know that.
1: Oh, yeah. My favorite book of all time is Moby Dick. Uh, but... Yeah, I've read a good deal of, um, classic literature and all of that, but A Tale of Two Cities was one to where, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I'm being perfectly honest with you, whenever I was a kid and I saw the Wishbone episode, got the very basic premise of the story and all that kind of stuff, and I've always thought, I, I don't, I don't need to delve into that any no. further, like, I'm, I'm okay
0: with knowing what I know. <laughs> they also, when Gordon is giving a eulogy at the end of the film, I'm gonna try and preserve some spoiler by not telling you who it's for, Um uh, you can probably guess at that. <laughs> he lifts lines directly from the book when he is using that. usually like, it is a far better thing that I go to now. Like, that is directly lifted from the book. By February of 2010, Christopher Nolan finally felt that he had figured out what he was going to do as far as writing this goes. He contacted David Goyer, and he got his brother Jonathan Nolan, and began working on the script. Midway through the script, David S. Goyer was approached about writing a Superman film. He left, and the Superman film he ended up making was Man of Steel. It is a damn shame that we did not get a proper follow-up throughout that. I will forever hold it against DC movie fans for acting the way they did about those films and for treating Zack Snyder the way that they have.
1: I'm I'm, I'm going to go on ahead and talk about, like, this, this is completely unrelated to, but now that you've brought it up, this is completely unrelated to The Dark Knight, and that is the hypocrisy of certain comic book fans and all of that kind of stuff because right you you know me. I'm a diehard Superman fan. I've got a crazy amount of Superman merchandise. I've got like either in single issue or a collected volume, every single Superman comic that's been done from
0: like 2004 up un- until, until like maybe a year ago. Up until one week ago, almost exactly one week ago, his phone, his ringtone in my phone has been four years The Superman theme. It is no longer. I did change it on Monday, but... But, uh, anywho, like, whenever Man of Steel came out,
1: it's just... It was just stupid stuff. People complaining about, well, you know, Superman, uh, he... You know, there was too much destruction. He didn't try to take the battle away. Yeah, he did! He he flew to outer space. He threw Zod into outer space, and Zod brought him back to the exact same spot. Mm -hmm. He made it very, very clear... During that battle, he was going to eliminate as many humans as he possibly could yeah. in this battle. But here's the hypocrisy. With all of that said about Man of Steel, Superman, having the battle in the middle of the city and all of that kind of stuff. Hey Chris, what two characters had the big old battle in the middle of the city in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron? That uh, conveniently not a single freaking MCU would, fan yeah, had would... anything negative to say? That would be Hulk and Iron Man and and the Hulkbuster armor. Yeah, and I don't even recall Tony trying to take his battle elsewhere. The closest (laughs) thing I could
0: think of that he did was bring him to an abandoned constructed building. And, you know, in one of those little throwaway lines. Superman did that as well. Exactly, but in one of those little throwaway lines going, how quickly can we buy this building? To try and mitigate some of the costs, but it doesn't matter. You know, the little news reports showed hundreds of people got hurt in that fight. Superman tried several times. Every time that a fight broke out between him and other Kryptonians, he tried to bring it away from populated areas, and they always brought it back. One of the other things they complained about was him killing Zod. It was not a matter of, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Zod gave him no choice. Have they not seen Superman 2 with Christopher Reeve? He
1: killed all three Kryptonians in that. You're not going to win this with me, you crybaby
0: fanboys. You're not going to win. <laughs> Coming back off of that little goat trail for a moment here. Um, again, he left midway through to make Man of Steel. With Jonathan Nolan Chris Christopher Nolan's blessing, like, no, we'll, we'll continue without you. It's okay. You're more than welcome to go. Uh, Nolan, both Nolan brothers continued working. Uh, Christopher Nolan said that his initial draft was well over 450 pages long. Yo. <laughs> the average movie script, when completed, is around 200 to 215 pages. This would have been a near five-hour movie if it had been made in that matter. For people who think that Christopher Nolan likes to drag things on, even he was like, we, we need to shorten this up a little bit. He, of course, like I said, drew inspiration from Nightfall, as well as the story No Man's Land. But he also drew the idea of Batman coming out of retirement and multiple sp- Scenes almost scene for scene from The Dark Knight Returns. Like to the point where when the motorcycle goes by the cop car and the one cop goes, oh boy, you are in for a treat tonight. Yeah. That is directly lifted from that storyline. Uh, it was confirmed during this writing process, again, that because Heath Ledger had passed away and they decided not to recast, Joker would not return in this film. And Christopher Nolan also denied rumors and also felt that they were absolutely disgusting to rumor that they would be using unused footage of the Joker from the Dark Knight in this film. Um, I have read the novelization of the Dark Knight Rises. Have you? Yeah. There is a point where after Bane has taken over Gotham and has released all the criminals and everything, where Selina Kyle is talking with somebody about all the prisoners that have gotten released, and she mentions that he released everybody. And the guy said, well, no, there, there's one that he did not release. He's in Arkham by himself, because even Bane knew, if I let this guy out, I I will completely lose control of this place. Gee, I wonder who he's talking about. The initial idea, from what I understand, if Bane had been used and Joker had been used, like what Christopher Nolan has said he would have done, if he if, if Heath had not died and they would continue continued on with Bane and everything, Batman would have been forced to accept the fact that the Joker needed to be let out in order to try and stop Bane. He would make it very clear to the Joker... You're not getting a free pass. You're not just getting away. If you step out of line, it's over with. Like he's like he will break his rule about not killing if he does. And that's another stupid thing that I want to address. I was gonna wait till the end of the episode to do so. The idea of, oh, Batman doesn't kill, that is the most heavily structured thing with this trilogy alone. In his initial appearances, Batman used a handgun and would kill his villains at the end of every comic. Batman has killed before, and it's not just like people complaining about how many, oh, Batfleck did this, Batfleck did that. Michael Keaton killed people. Hey, Michael Keaton has one heck of a... A, a, a body
1: list. A, a body list, yeah. yes. But um, one, one thing that I wanted to point out, uh, I've, I've been meaning to text this to you, Okay. but I, I keep forgetting to and all that, but since we're talking about the no-kill rule and all that kind of stuff, one of the biggest no kill, like, moments of Batman breaking the no kill rule in uh, BVS was whenever it's the warehouse fight scene and all of that kind of stuff. And there's a point where he grabs the gun of a goon mm-hmm. and like he turns it and is like shooting at people and all of that kind of stuff. An eagle eye fan actually slowed down that scene, caught it, put it in like meme form. I've got it somewhere on my phone and all of that kind of stuff. The goon's hand is still very much, like, on the handle. His finger is on the trigger and all that. He was the one firing the gun. Batman just simply redirected it. Hmm. So, there's another one that you little crybabies can whine about. Yeah. How about that? <clears throat> so,
0: I think it would have been interesting had Heath lived to see what exactly they would have done. But we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Like I said, folks, this episode is going to be a bit longer because we are going to talk about the legacy these three movies have left across superhero cinema, in a little bit more depth at the end. That's kind of why I've been trying to hold off on that. Uh, for Be- Cap-
1: before, before we go any further, I'd like to go ahead and tell the audience, I'm usually not this big of a dick in real life. <laughs> like, I, just, you know, I get into it, I've, got, I've kind of adopted a persona whenever I come on to Chris's show. Like, oh, I'm going to uh, go on rants
0: and I'm going to yell at the audience and all that kind the, of stuff. Look, <laughs> like, that is true, but also... I have seen this in real life when somebody pushes the Zack Snyder button on you. Or if they say something about Joss Whedon. I have seen it happen. Mm. So,
1: (laughs) are you? Okay. It's like, we're going to talk about The Dark Knight Rises later. I want you all to sit back and enjoy (laughs) my two-hour rant about how Joss Whedon is one of the most horrible pieces of
0: blank that's ever walked the face of the planet. Another time. (laughs) Another time. Okay. For casting, Catwoman, Hathaway actually auditioned without knowing what she was trying out for. She was the only character desired for this, her actress desired for this character. Uh, Initially, they were not planning on using Catwoman at all in the trilogy because they felt that with what Michelle Pfeiffer had done and then with the very unfortunate Halle Berry film, they felt that Catwoman as a character was probably rightly off limits in cinema for quite some time.
1: I, I have yet to have ever seen the uh, the Halle Berry Catwoman film. It's one of those ones that I've just completely avoided with everything that I had. But uh, I haven't told you yet. But on my one of my other podcasts that I have, um, the Cal the Kaiju guy watches a movie. I'm going to be venturing into an adventure in which I'm going to watch and do movies that I've never seen before. That's gonna be all the Harry Potter. Oh, I've films. got a little list I can That's send for gonna you. be the Green Mile. That's gonna be um, You've never the, seen the Green Mile? Nope. Huh. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. I've never seen that. Like, and I've already pretty much told myself that one of the ones I'm going to do is Halle Berry's Catwoman. And
0: tell Ian yeah, about this and he'll send you about a thirty page text message full of different movies you need to do. Not
1: trying to sound rude. No.
0: <laughs> but I'm not I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that at all. It's my show. I'll pick whatever movies I feel like that's, picking. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, Anne Hathaway was concerned that she would not actually be able to keep up with the physicality of her role in this. So to try and catch up, she trained in martial arts. Uh, she also, having previously been a dancer in her life, picked that back up again. And she took direct inspiration from how Hedy Lamar carried herself as Catwoman. In the old 1960s Batman, for this tonally, you would think that would not fit, but she apparently found a way to make it work. Yeah, no, I mean, I never, I never knew that, but now that I'm sitting here
1: like visually picturing it in my head, it's kind of it's uncanny.
0: <laughs> Both uh, Marion Cotillard and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, after working on Inception. Uh, Nolan wrote both Talia algul slash Miranda Tate's character and John Blake's characters with those two in mind. Due to several previous roles that Tom Hardy had played in his acting career, most prominently being Bronson and uh, Black Hawk Down, he was very heavily desired for Bane. Because they felt that he'd be able to portray not just the soldier aspect that Bane would have to an extent, but also because he'd already been in a prison movie, they felt like why not? Uh, he desired to try and make Bane far more menacing and intelligent than Jeep Swenson's portrayal of Bane in Batman and Robin. Wouldn't have been freaking hard no, to No, no, it really wouldn't. But apparently from what I they was... They could have cgi Bugs Bunny into that movie and it would have been better than the Bane that we got in Batman and Robin. From what I've been checking, uh, Bane was not going to be the... Bra- Still, it was not going to be the brains of the operation here. In this before Tom Hardy signed on. The idea was Bane was going to be very, very clearly following somebody else's orders. No witty banter, no intellectualism, no nothing like that with Batman. It would have been very like, okay, well he's not doing this of his own accord. Somebody's having him do this, and that would have been revealed to be uh, Talia al Ghul. Tom Hardy felt that that was a bad way to go about this. He's like, you're still making him no more than a henchman. Sure, he may end up at the end still being kind of seen as an accomplice, if you will. But he's an accomplice who very clearly did stuff of his own volition. I mean, at, the, at the end
1: of the day, yeah, with the, the narrative that they did in the movie, he was, you know, a soldier that was following his orders. But at the same time, we never see any interaction no. between those two characters up until, like, the end of the movie. So, mm-hmm. no, he was absolutely, to an extent, making his own decisions and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I don't... I, I, I,
0: to that end, Tom Hardy also worked out for several months to gain an additional 30 pounds of the role for the role coming in at an even 205 for the film, as well as basing his voice and he accent. He only weighed 205 pounds. He is five foot eight. <laughs> Did you not know Tom Hardy was five foot eight? He's five foot eight. He is five foot eight. Holy Christian knackle. Bale, Christian Bale is six foot one. Anytime you see the two of them standing next to each other. Hardy is either in lifts or it is a trick of the camera because otherwise, it's not quite as good if Batman towers over Bane, you know what I mean? And the idea there, he wanted to try and have the voice be a direct contrast to what you see physically in the film. A lot of people made fun of his voice in the years that have followed this movie. I get it. It probably wasn't the voice that I would have gone with. But if you every time you hear Bane talk in the Arkham series or in the Injustice series, he has a very stereotypical, just Spanish accent. I like the idea that Tom Hardy tried to give him a layer with
1: it. I mean, you know, everybody and their second cousin thought that they had the best Bane impersonation in the world after that movie came out just by simply covering their mouth, like with their yeah. hand or something like that. And then they would start talking and you could tell that they think they're
0: doing so good. And I just couldn't help but look at them and just be like... No. One of the things that definitely did not help that, though, was the fact that because of the mask, his voice was slightly muffled. People complained after the first trailer they couldn't really understand him. So Tom Hardy had to go back in and re-record lines that could be dubbed over. So his voice comes through a little stronger than it should have. And you can kind of tell, it sounds like he's speaking into a microphone at times. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Like, if you look at that first trailer where he's telling, you know, Batman that once Gotham is this, then you have my permission to die. That's where he's just speaking through the mask, where it's slightly muffled. It does carry a bit more menace that way. It was filmed from May to November of 2011 in London, Jodhpur, India, Nottingham, Glasgow, Los Angeles, New York City, Newark, and Pittsburgh. They did not go back to Chicago for this one. I guess something happened to where he either just didn't enjoy Chicago as much this time around, or the more likely aspect I think is that because so many memories were made there with Heath Ledger, I, I, I don't to, think that he really <clears throat> wanted to go about that. I, again. I was going to bring that up. You know, it could be just because of the area. Like, you know, he
1: pretty much associates Chicago with Heath Ledger yeah. now or something.
0: Uh, again, tax credits lowered the budget from two hundred fifty, three hundred million to about two hundred and thirty million. The studio initially told him to film it in three D. He told them no. Three D. Yes. Oh god. <laughs> Batman has been constantly attempted to be sabotaged throughout the years cinematically. Uh, The idea was he wanted to do more in IMAX. They agreed. He wanted to film the entire thing in IMAX. They said no. He ultimately got to film just over an hour of footage in IMAX, compared to the Dark Knight filming only about 28 minutes. The problem therein, again, goes back to what I said about Bane's voice. IMAX cameras and recording processes are very loud. Because of that, they had to try and beef up sound other places. That's why sometimes the sound doesn't seem like it quite works. Um, They also chose to bypass entirely digital intermediates for less manipulation of the film that you're seeing on screen to make it look more natural instead of making it look cleaned up. The working title was Magnus Rex. Of course, you see somebody walking down the street dressed as Batman, you're not going to be able to hide what you're doing. Uh, Specifically for Pittsburgh, they needed to use Heinz Field for the football field scene. They had 11,000 extras for that. None of that crowd that you see is digital. Well, I know
1: a lot of times, like, did they really just hire the extras and bring them in? Because I know a lot of times whenever in movies, whenever they go to film a scene in a setting like that, they'll actually pick an actual sporting event that's happening and then like during... Either before the game starts or after the game or something other like that, they'll just be like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna shoot some scenes real quick." I know that Rocky did that with uh, not Rocky, Sylvester Stallone did that with um the <laughs> film that's just titled Rocky Balboa, mm-hmm. like it was an actual uh boxing event.
0: Yep, they did and with then, Here Comes the Boom as well.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> like no, so. no, they
0: uh, they brought in the actors specifically for this because when this was recorded, the scenes that were done in Pittsburgh was prior to the beginning of the football season. I'll be go. So they brought 11,000 people in for extras for this. They also yeah. used the Mellon Institute at Carnegie Mellon University for the scenes that involved where the nuclear bomb and everything is. Uh, they had to warn people in Pittsburgh. 911 operators were warned that not only would be a lot of road closures, you're going to get a lot of phone calls about explosions, gunshots, things like that. It's, it's just us filming. If you guys have to respond to it, Of course, we're not going to tell you that you can't, but if you get 30 phone calls in a five-minute period about an explosion, it was probably us. (laughs) Filming in Pittsburgh wrapped early of August 2011. Los Angeles, they filmed for nine weeks from August 23rd through October 23rd. New York, they filmed in for about a week. The Richard J. Daly Center that was filmed as Wayne Enterprises could not be used because they did not go back to Chicago. They had to use Trump Tower instead. Which means Donald Trump got paid for that. No comment. No comment at all. Uh, for Newark, they used City Hall and the Military Park. And they wrapped their total filming on November 14th after going to Glasgow, London, for the waterfall scenes that you see like with the uh, Batcave. And Jodhpur, India, for where they did the scenes with the jail. A new Tumblr chassis was spotted by an overhead... Just like somebody dr- flying through on a friggin' helicopter... This is right before the time when you started being able to commercially buy drones. And because they saw that and took a picture of that and leaked that, it was confirmed, oh, I guess a new Batmobile is coming out in some capacity. Which is one of the reasons why they now issue no-fly zones over movies that are being produced. Filming was not without issue. Multiple accidents occurred during filming. A tractor trailer crashed in Nottingham. A stunt double who was parachuting got wedged between a building and a signpost. After a failed landing, Anne Hathaway's stunt double crashed a bat pod down a flight of stairs and took out an Amex camera and the cameraman. Nobody was seriously injured in these accidents. The camera was completely destroyed, which cost about $110,000. Also, the bat, the the flying Batmobile they used, went off course and crashed, damaging it and production had to be halted for three weeks to repair it. Bane's mask was designed to resemble... A skull, spider, gas-max elements. They wanted it to look animalistic, as it were. Uh, And his general costume needed to look like this is something that... It's not something Bane could have just bought somewhere or was issued somewhere. He took bits and parts from various places that he went through for various reasons. Like, part of his vest was made out of, you know, fabric that was used from a parachute. uh, A tent. He needed to look militaristic, but to not, again, look like he had a uniform, because they didn't want him to appear like he was just issued this stuff. The mask, the idea there was that the mask would release gas into his system to try and keep his pain management at bay. Again, because they went with a more realistic aspect here, you know, realistically speaking, you couldn't just pump a drug like Phenom into your system and just fight the whole time. You'd go into shock and die. Yeah. That, that's essentially a supercharged version of adrenaline. So the mask needed to do that instead. And to make sure that it would fit him properly and would look good on him, Tom Hardy had to completely shave his head. And they used a 3D mold model of his face and head and skull to fit it to him so that it would have like a perfect fit. His coat, that big winter coat that he wears, took two years to complete. What? They based it off of a Swedish army jacket and also to look similar to a frock used in the French Revolution. Which makes sense, considering this what this movie's process was. It needed to look both dictatorial and revolutionary. However, finding a suitable tailor to make this in Los Angeles was not easy to do. That is what took as long as it took. Bale's Batsuit was completely unchanged. The only thing that they did that could be considered any kind of modification was they redid the mold on his head to make his mask fit him a little bit better. That's it. Uh, Anne Hathaway's suit was made from a polyurethane-coated spandex with a hexagonal pattern that would make it both functional yet f- physically striking to see.
1: It was pretty striking.
0: Yes, it was. She also got to wear her own heels at first, but felt they were too short, so they upped them by about an inch and a half with stilettos. Cool. And that was, by the way, not a trick of the camera when she uses her leg to pin the guy's arm up against the wall. Oh, I'm that aware. is genuinely her doing that. Yeah, she's... Um... Nope, 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 nope. Continue. <laughs> Concept artists for the film described this film, as well as Christopher Nolan's style, that this was a war film. And most of it taking place during the winter time gave it a very very different feel to how the first two movies had appeared. You know, winter can be a very bleak, very dreary time to look at. Um, it's They just had to work with it that way. The bat needed to be distinct from bat plans from before because they didn't want it to look like A cheesy effect in here, but they also needed it to appear within the same kind of vehicular family of the Tumbler and the Batpod. It needed to look like a real military project. To wit, they took inspirations and designs from a Harrier jump jet, the Bell Boeing V-22 Osprey, and the Boeing AH AH-64 Apache helicopter. Chris Manolo was pretty demanding on this. He emphasized that the practical effects needed to be done over CGI. He didn't want them to have to overly CGI this, which caused quite a few issues with the bat because the bat needed to be a certain size and shape in order for it to look realistic. In order for it to make it so that it would fly, because again, they didn't use computer-generated imagery on this thing flying. They used wire cranes from helicopters, and they also had a hydraulic mounted control system in order to simulate movement for Bale when he was inside of it. So basically, they made, it as, they made it as realistic and as difficult as possible with all three vehicles throughout the films. Because the Tumbler, people couldn't see out of, and they crashed him multiple times driving around Chicago when Batman Begins. Batpod, no matter how much he begged and pleaded, they would not let Christian Bale get on that thing. He did get to ride one briefly in this one, so he did at least feel vindicated on that. And then the Bat had problems. Uh, all told, the Bat itself took... I think they said the cost to build that and make it to where it looked, how it looked, and moved how it moved. It cost less than the tumblers because it didn't need to have as many movable parts. But it was more difficult to make, which upped the cost anyway to where it was about the same thing. The Batcave, they decided that they would take the original design of the Batcave from Batman Begins. Because if you remember, in The Dark Knight, he's working out of a little bunker below a damn construction zone. Well, they wanted to go back and use the actual Batcave this time, because if he's back in Wayne Manor, they have to. They took the initial design, and they wondered what it would look like if it was flooded. Let's say Batman flooded the Batcave, so that if somebody who happened to be cave diving came across it, they wouldn't see anything out of the ordinary. The water would hide the equipment, the computers, everything and like Walkways would rise out of it, and they built all of that on a soundstage. Uh, the prison itself was built in Coddington to look like a labyrinth, like a bar- with the way the, the different prison cells looked, and that vertical shaft was genuinely 120 feet high up in the air. So, yeah, you, the, the stunt double said that to make it to look as realistic as possible for how they would climb it, they actually had their stunt doubles climb up it and find the various hand holes that were built to make it look like, okay, Batman would have to look before he'd do this one or he'd have to do that. Uh, The exterior shots were done in Jodhpur, India because they felt that the atmosphere out there looked very, you know, foreboding and very much like a you're not getting out of here kind of a situation. Hans Zimmer returned to to do the musical score. Howard decided not to do so. Not only because he didn't want to interfere with the chemistry that Zimmer and Nolan had established during Inception, he felt that he would have become a third wheel, as it were, and that it could have possibly been if not damaging to his reputation as a composer, it certainly wouldn't have helped it to be like, well, he, he helped out on this kind of thing, instead of he directly caused that. Uh, Zimmer kept certain cues from the initial films, but went a very different direction for Bane's theme, including the chant, the Deshi Basara. That was crowdsourced. Christopher Nolan wanted over 100,000 voices to do it. They did not get 100,000 voices. But they, whether it was through Twitter... Facebook, newspaper ads, because they used to do newspaper ads in the 2010s, early 2010s, for so this kind of thing, to get people to record themselves chanting that and send it in so that it could be used. So I think they said the total was around 84,000 people sent in the chance of Deshi Basara. As someone who's a,
1: if it works, it works. Hey, I was about to say, <laughs> as,
0: some, as people who are lifelong professional wrestling fans, when you see a stadium full of 80,000 people chanting, What? when Stone Cold says something, it's believable to, have, to that sound be that. Absolutely. Uh, Zimmer wanted to continue the pattern that he had of just using a two note music. Like his piece is built around two notes. This time he wanted to emphasize Batman's pain and his guilt over not just what happened, but what could have been if it hadn't happened. And of course, Batman's original theme called Molossus also returns, but this time in much smaller segments than in previous films. In previous films, you could hear it for oftentimes minutes at a time. This time, you hear it for about 20 to 30 seconds, and then it changes. They once again went on a heavy viral marketing campaign, similar to The Dark Knight, in order to market for this film. They had a very encrypted page that people could figure out little things here and there, and every time something could get figured out, they would depixelate one little spot. Eventually, it revealed the very first look at Bane. The teaser trailer was attached to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, and the teaser trailer received kind of mixed responses, because some felt that it, while it successfully built hype, others felt that it served as more just an announcement that the next Batman was coming, instead of an actual teaser for what we were getting. That was the whole thing where you hear the voices and you hear the you see the buildings rising up, and you see like as they're falling and everything. They attached the actual second full-on trailer to the Avengers to ensure maximum visibility for the trailer. Avengers was the only film in 2012 to outgross Batman: The Dark Knight Rises, so it it worked. Like they was able to get as many eyes as possible on there. Uh, similar to what they did with The Dark Knight, a uh, prologue of sorts, which was really just the first six minutes of the film, was attached to several other movies in order to you know, give people an idea of what they're going to get reaction to that was very, very positive. They felt that the way that Bane introduced himself, he introduced himself, you know, establishing right off the bat. He's smart. He's ruthless. And he will not hesitate to kill when he needs to kill. You know what I mean? Including his own men, including his own men. (laughs) They released various websites t-shirts they released redacted documents there were cia type documents that had sections redacted about pavel bane similar to the dark knight if you didn't live through the hype this movie had it's very difficult to describe it yeah i mean they released toys novelizations tie-in comic series uh two issue comic series mobile games Even an F1 series car got advertisements put on it for the Grand Prix in in Monaco. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Now, when it was released, it was given a midnight release. This is an elephant in the room that we absolutely have to address. The initial reports and estimates for what the film's midnight release was essentially never got off the ground for people to know and a lot of information was delayed Due to the shooting at the Colorado Theater in Aurora, Colorado, during the midnight premiere, um, I don't really want to talk about too much about that because I really don't want to give the the sorry excuse of a human credit for anything that happened at that time. I don't really want to talk about his name or his things, but needless to say, a lot of people died, and it greatly affected, you know, the movie going forward. There were several people who commented that, you know, in the days after the after the shooting. They went to go see the movie, and they were the only ones in the theater.
1: Yeah, no, it absolutely, that, that moment absolutely <clears throat> uh, affected the box office performance for the film. Uh, I know, personally, people like uh, co-workers and stuff like that at the time, and uh, a few family members that were very much planning to go see the film, But after the incident, opted out and never went and saw it and instead said we're just going to wait for it to come out on DVD or Blu-ray or something like that. Because people were, you know, this this is a pretty rough world that we live in. And there was a lot of people that were afraid that this individual could have sparked a movement of some kind that would have been repeated and copycatted and all of that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, like whenever I went and saw it in theaters... Just here in Central Louisiana, um, it was not a packed screening. Like there, there were people that were just downright afraid yeah. to go see this movie.
0: And it has had long-lasting effects, not just in cinema in general, but honestly on Batman-related movies. Uh, the the theater in Colorado refused to show Joker. They refused to show Joker. They refused to show Justice League. They refused to show Batman. They refused to show anything that would have shown. The Joker in it, and other theaters have have followed suit on this. There are now heavy protocols in place. That's what they used to always tell you before the movie started. You know, make sure you can find where your emergency exit is. But it was really just a make sure that you can look and see your emergency exits, and then it would continue on. Now, it's damn near a two minute thing where they're talking about, and for a while there, it was a lot longer than that on what to do in case of an emergency, how to get out, what you need to do.
1: Well, you know, I mean, this, this individual was dressed up like the Joker, and because of that, like, there's a a whole slew of theaters, ours included, that has, you know, ours here in town that has limits on it here and there, that they don't allow more diehard cosplay for movies that come out and all of that kind of stuff. Like, I, I know people, um, <clears throat> I know people personally that whenever, like, a new Star Wars movie or something would come out, and they would go and they would be like in full costume of like Vader or something like, like wearing a mask and all that kind of stuff in the theater would say, yeah, like you can oh. we're we're okay with you dressing up a little bit, but you have to
0: lose a pretty good chunk of what you've got on. Like they, like
1: it's, it's a very serious
0: thing. You know, now. When I went and saw the Dark Knight in theaters, there was a guy who clearly had spent a lot of money on a Batman costume. Like it looked like a Batman costume. Yeah. And he got to go in the movie like that. There was a guy dressed as the Riddler. There was somebody dressed as the Joker. But like, they, they got into it. And it was a very much a, a ha-ha, that's so awesome. This is great. Let's, let's do this. You know, you'd go see, I went and saw Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which came out before all this. There were people in there dressed up as wizards. They had wands. A couple of people even got up in front of the theater and did a little wizard's duel. Hey, Harry Potter fans are a little weird. Let's just leave it at that. Um, uh,
1: Star Trek I've seen people go in dressed as like uh, Starfleet officers Klingons Star Wars went like out when uh,
0: Revenge of the Sith first came out me and a friend of mine his mom dropped us off the theater to see the midnight release and when we were leaving the movie she commented she's like you know when I dropped you off there was a little boy who was dressed as Darth Vader but then when I picked you up he had taken his helmet off and I thought that was very striking and I'm like he's probably hot <laughs> you know I don't think he wore it while he watched no <laughs> so uh all told it earned 448.1 million in North America, 632.9 million elsewhere for a global total of 1.081 billion worldwide. It was the seventh highest-grossing film at the time. It is the 13th official film to pass 1 billion dollars at the box office. Its opening day it did pull in 75.8 million, 160.9 million for its opening weekend. You know, it was only behind Avengers and Deathly Hollows Part Two at that time for opening weekend. Three weeks it spent at number one at the box office, despite everything that happened. So, if that had never happened, this film probably would have been one of the top three highest-grossing films of all time at the time.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't. I think it'd be. It's a little bit too bold of a statement to say it would have overtaken Avengers, but I think
0: that the. I, I think, think it would have
1: been a lot closer. I, than yeah, was. I was about
0: to say, I think it would have been pretty close, honestly. Mm. It is the 13th highest grossing film in North American mm. history as of today. It is the second highest grossing film of 2012 and was the sixth highest grossing superhero or based on a comic book film. It received high critical pr- pr- praise, similar to The Dark Knight. However, Bane was felt to be a, a bit less intimidating than The Joker in the grand scheme of things. Uh, it was nominated for a couple of awards. It didn't end up really winning anything. It's It was, again, it was deemed a satisfactory conclusion to a trilogy, which in a lot of ways is more than you can ask of a lot of trilogies to have occurred. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I saw this movie in theaters. I bought it on DVD when it came out. What's funny is at the time that I bought it on Bl- uh, Blu-ray, rather, I was working at Kroger. Our manager at the time built the display and set the movie out four days early. I bought it four days early (laughs) because they didn't stop me. And then after I bought it and put it in my truck, I went back inside and I found the manager. I said, hey, that doesn't come out for four more days. Oh, crap. We got to put it. Did anybody buy one? We sold six copies. Maybe nobody will notice. If if they would have found out about that, Kroger might have been hit with some fines at the time. Probably. It's been 10 years, so I think they're okay now, though. All right. Now that we have gone through all three films, now I feel like we can really discuss the impact and legacy that these films have had on the superhero genre in general, but in cinema as well. Um, you know, the MCU seems to have taken the tone of we can't match what the Dark Knight did in scope of drama and storytelling with what they did for, the, for that trilogy of movies. Instead, they seem to rely more on comedy to try and balance that out. A lot of people consider The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises to be two of the greatest superhero films of all time. And I agree with that sentiment. I really do. Same here. Um, I don't think that were it not for the success of these movies, we would not have gotten first of all, I don't think we would have gotten Man of Steel the way we got it. I don't think we would have gotten uh at before the studio ran it all to hell and back. Uh the Justice League. Because Zack Snyder's Justice League to me is probably the definitive DC film to have ever been made.
1: It's pretty it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna like, lie.
0: That is one of those four hour movies that I literally sit through it and I don't realize it's been four hours.
1: I've uh, I've watched it numerous times. <laughs> Even the black and white version. I was gonna, when, gonna ask you whenever about they, that whenever Justice were... is grey. I was gonna yeah. ask you.
0: about that. Um, I still, to this day, I both praise and hold it against the films for giving us the, everybody thought Heath Ledger was going to be bad, so wait and see on people to get cast, because that's not even unique to the to Heath Ledger, it's not even unique to the Batman films. When Michael Keaton was cast as Batman, people were quite shocked. Oh, they were very shocked. Because up to that point, the biggest thing he was in was in Beetlejuice. He was like, that's Mr. Mom? That's that's who you're, is this for Batman? Really? You you can actually
1: get online and find a few um, newspaper articles from back then, uh, from whenever he was cast. And yeah, there's people that's just like, there's no way, you know, he's going to butcher it and this and that and all that kind of stuff. And now look, there's still many, many people. That consider him to be the definitive version of Batman, and he's fixing to return
0: as Batman mm-hmm. in uh, the Flash film. Yep, uh, well, that'll be his third turn as Batman, right? Yes. Who holds the record right now? It's Batfleck, right? Uh, Batfleck, because he was in. I'm trying to think. Batman Man, he was in
1: BVS. He was in Justice League. He had a cameo appearance in Suicide Squad.
0: Um.
1: Yeah, I think it. I think it's just those three, those three. Films so right now, Bale saying. and
0: Batfleck are tied with three apiece. I believe so. Yeah. Well, yeah. In, in addition to him appearing as Batman in The Flash, from what I understand, he's also going to appear as Batman in the Batwoman TV or Batgirl TV uh, movie they're making. hmm He is. Which that'll give him the record.
1: From everything that we've, I've pretty much heard, is that that they're they're essentially wanting to turn Michael Keaton's Batman into like the Tony Stark of DC. Like, pretty much the guy who's over. He's, like, the big, intelligent dude. Kind of runs everything. And, you know, like, he funds everything that, like, a lot Mm -hmm. of people are going to be doing. Like, so, yeah, this isn't just a one-and-done thing for Keaton. And he's, uh, he has for very long, a long time has believed himself to still be the definitive Batman. There's a story about whenever... (laughs) Whenever Christian Bale, uh, whatever, he found out that Ben Affleck was cast as Batman and he said he just felt kind of numb and he just sat there for like an hour just staring into nothing because it's like, that's it. I'm not Batman anymore or whatever. And so somebody caught Michael Keaton after finding out that that's how Christian Bale um, reacted. And so they <laughs> asked Keaton, they're like, well, how, how did you react whenever you found out that you weren't Batman anymore? And he looked at that person square in the eye and said, what are you talking about? I am Batman. Yeah. On, on the set of uh, Spider-Man, like there's been multiple people that would say like there were multiple times like they would have to
0: redo an entire take because he would be like, I'm Batman. And Tom, like, Tom Holland said that during little action scenes between the two of them, he would see like getting himself psyched up into the moment. He sees Keaton kind of hunched over. He's like, one time I got close enough to hear, and he was sitting there going, I'm Batman, I'm Batman, I'm Batman, I'm Batman, <laughs> building himself up for it. He gives commencement speeches at colleges, and he says, I got one last thing to tell you all. I'm Batman. Like he, that, That's going to be the 90-year-old man in the nursing home telling his great-grandkids, you know, I was Batman. I am Batman. That's going to be him. <laughs> You know, Christian Bale has said on numerous occasions that he felt it was kind of bittersweet to be leaving it, because he's like, I don't think I will ever be in a series of movies like the Batman again, like the Batman series of movies that I was in again. He's like, I'm, I'm never going to be synonymous with a character like that, like I was for that brief seven, eight years that I was Bruce Wayne, Batman. He's like, it's it's kind of bittersweet to think about it that way. Um I don't believe Christian Bale was the best Batman we've ever gotten. Oh, no. Absolutely. There are there are quite a few very loud fans that think he was. I thought he I think, was. I think he's a great Bruce Wayne. I was about to say, I think he did great as Bruce Wayne. But I think that in aspects of Batman, it's almost like he tried too hard, if it is. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say whenever the movies
1: were first coming out and I would watch them, I wouldn't really pay that much of a that much mind to it and all that kind of stuff because I was just kind of like, okay, that's the direction they're going and all of that. The
0: um the the,
1: the throat cancer Batman thing, yeah. like, it, it has not held up well.
0: No, no, like, it hasn't. And it's, it's been it's the butt of jokes many, many times. In uh, <laughs> Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles movies, which um, at one point when April O'Neil is trying to record them and you gets a picture... Raphael lands in front of her in the shadows and he goes give me the camera and you hear Mikey go "Ooh, he's doing his Batman voice (laughs) like like it's it's very heavily been made fun of more than anything else to come out of this series Bale's Batman voice probably has gotten the most scrutiny uh well, because, I mean, it's, it's well, go, silly. Well, go back and watch Batman like, Begins. It's not that bad in Batman really, Begins. It's
1: really not that bad. But, I mean, it's so silly that, like, you know, they're like, oh, we want to go with a uh, a more realistic take on Batman and all of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I mean, Laryngitis. Man, at the time of this movie being made, they had voice-altering technology. Like, it, it wouldn't yeah. have been much of nothing. Just, I mean, like, I'll use BBS for an example. We very plainly see Alfred working on a device and then holds it up to his throat and he, st- he says he like, and it yeah. changes his voice and all of that kind of stuff. Like they had, maybe not to that extent, but they did have voice altering technology back then. Yes, they So did. to be like, oh, this is billionaire Bruce Wayne that can have all eh. of this, these high tech gadgets and all this
0: stuff that he can do. And it's like, well, what are you going to do about your voice? Oh, I'm just going to growl
1: that like, whole I mean. <laughs> thing falls apart
0: when you realize that in the freaking early 90s you could buy for 20 dollars a darth vader speak box i had one that would make you sound like vader i had one <laughs> like it worked like
1: but uh now I'm, I'm i did not get the opportunity to talk about this because i was not present for the episode on batman begins but uh you know, you mentioned Roz earlier, Roz al Ghul, yes. earlier. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, whenever I initially first watched Batman Begins, I was justifiably so, I believe, furious whenever it very much seemed like that they killed off Roz towards the
0: first 20 minutes of the movie. So,
1: yeah, the very beginning of the film, and then towards the end, whenever, you know... It comes out like, "Oh no! Like, I'd like to introduce you to uh, Ra's al Ghul. and I'm, you know, it kind of threw me for a loop. And I'm you like, had "The Wait same reaction, Bruce? Yeah." Like, I'm like, "Wait a minute! Like, and it's a different guy and all that kind of stuff." And so, for a
0: split second, I'm like, "Is that how they're covering?" Which I gotta say, that's mildly insulting to use the first decoy of Raoul Gul, be Ken Watanabe, and then the second <laughs> one just be some random Asian actor. It's like. They do not all look alike, guys. <laughs> but,
1: you know, it was just something to me to where it's like for a split second I'm like, is that how they're gonna they're they're covering the immortality thing in this realistic take on Batman that they just simply replace Roz whenever they can and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, whenever uh whenever you hear Liam Neeson say, But can Roz Ghul be killed, and it's like, you know, the entire theater at the same
0: time realizes like Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see, here's the thing. Uh, I think the, if they had gone that direction of, you know, the they're not going to do the Lazarus Pits because they're going with a more realistic thing. The idea being that true immortality in real life comes from doing something that causes you to be remembered. Legacy. Yes. The idea that the character of Rachel Ghoul exists more so than who the actual man is. You know... To quote Batman, it's not who I am underneath, it's what I do that defines me. The whole first movie, the idea the thread of identity is what ties everything together. And I think with the way they handled racial Ghoul with that, it kind of is like spitting in the face of the identity they're trying to set up. Because I mean if you if you were to take it that that route, racial Ghoul literally translates to the demon's head. The head of the demon, the head of the organization, the leader of the organization. You don't have to be the same person in order to have been that leader. To that effect, if Bane was truly ruling the League of Shadows and he says, I am the League of Shadows here to, to fulfill Ra's Ghoul's destiny. He is Ra's Ghoul in that sense. And I think that by doing it the way they did and just having him die and then having him come back with a hallucination. And like when I saw him in a trailer, I was like, we didn't see him die, but I don't think that's him, really. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, and for those of you that are wondering, yes, I pronounce it as Roz. He pronounces it as Raish, And before anyone starts the, well, you're wrong and he's right. It has, been, it has been officially stated that both pronunciations are correct. Just really depends on what type of dialect. Yeah, that's or, exactly right. Or something like that. So I've always preferred Roz. This is the first time I'm finding out you apparently prefer Raish. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. Well,
0: in my defense, the first time I ever heard his name said out loud was in the animated series, and I saw him in the animated series introduced as Ra's al Ghul before I read him in a comic. So in my mind, that's always what it is. Then when I saw Batman Begins, and they called him Ra's al Ghul, I was like, that doesn't sound right. But the way it was explained to me, we had a lot of exchange students in my high school. You know, I went to high school with a bunch of Mormons, richer area, it's what happens. One of them explained it to me in such a way that you might have someone here whose name is Ernest. Back home in Germany, it's pronounced Ernst. It's a regional thing, a dialectual thing. You're not necessarily going to say the name the same way that somebody else does, but that doesn't make it any less of his name unless you're just completely butchering it. Like if you called him Rizal that would be, you know, not Rachel al name. So, yeah, that's, um
1: like, it, it's the same thing as if, like, you know, like, I go by Cal, the kaiju guy, but my real name is Michael. And, you know, it's pretty much the same. Like, here in the States, I'm Michael. In Germany, I'm Misha. In Mexico, I'm Miguel. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, it just depends on where you're from and all that. So, yes, Raz and Race are both acceptable. Yeah. Um, I was already aware of Raz al Ghul going into this movie. I was a fan of Raz al Ghul. Um, one thing that really worried me about this
0: film was that you're going with Ra's al Ghul right out the gate. Yeah, like, <laughs> like A lot of people like to tell the, the idea like, oh, well, the Riddler is really the Moriarty to Batman's Sherlock. And no, he's no, really not. He's not because not the like Riddler it. has an almost compulsive need to be caught. Ra's Ghoul Ghul is absolutely the Moriarty to Batman's Sherlock. To the point that he wants Batman to succeed him as ruler. Like, if there, I read a book, and I've got the audio book on my Audible that I started listening to the other day. Have you ever read A Dark and Stormy Night with a K? Batman and Psychology. It explores a whole bunch of things about Batman's rogues gallery, his motivations, everything, and they even only have a paragraph about that big about the Joker, and they simply state if we were to actually want to talk about Batman's relationship with the Joker, we would need a separate book. Plain and simple. But one of the things they state about Ray al Ghoul is that he's really the only true intellectual rival batman has oh yeah in that sense but what helps him is that while they're both very very rich men batman is still regardless of his vigilantism he is very much anchored and rooted in the within the bounds of the law Raish is not to that end Raish also constantly desires to get him to become his successor to the point that anytime like don't get me wrong talia and in this movie miranda tate is physically attracted to bruce She's absolutely doing this to further her father's goals. And it's very telling, very, very telling, that even in The Dark Knight Rises, Bruce Wayne tells Catwoman he's Batman. Like he, She knows it because he has told her. The only reason that Talia knows he's Batman is because she has been told by somebody else. That is not a part of him that he wishes to share with that side. And I thought that was a really nice way to tie that in with her even being, even though I didn't really like the idea of her being a dual role, it caught me off guard when I saw it in theaters. She has a terrible death scene. Yeah, that's awful. That's absolutely horrible. <laughs> that is one of the worst things, and a lot of people complain about the, the escape that Batman has in the Bat with the, the autopilot and how he would have just jumped ashore. Cool. That's still a four-megaton nuclear bomb. It would have completely poisoned and irradiated the entire bay, and the entire city would have still been dealing with nuclear winter. Oh, this movie is absolutely not without
1: its plots. I mean, plot holes. I mean, there. I've got. I've got some issues with this movie. Uh, first of all, whenever you know he he escapes and all of that, and he, uh from the from the pit, and he goes back to Gotham and all of that kind of stuff. He decided to take it. Oh, okay, I know the city needs me, and I need to do this, and I need to do that. But quick, I'm gonna make a big. Giant burning bat symbol first, and I'm going to go through all of that stuff. And then whenever all the policemen come up out of the sewers and all of that kind of stuff, they've, you know, they're supposed to have been down there for months and months and yeah. months and all that kind of stuff. Every single one of
0: them is still clean shaven. Like, I mean, It's not know, the case like... in the book. It's not the case in the book. The book openly describes the police characters as, you know, they have been barely kept alive. They've been given enough food to live, and they're basically being told that, you know, we will let you out to reacclimate you here and to make you work with our new... In the book, Batman doesn't even bother shaving before he puts on the suit because he's like, I don't have that time. Yeah. Which I gotta admit, the idea of seeing Batman with a full beard in that cowl might be a little different to see it would hide his identity a little bit better it would but the only reason it would is because of the structure of the cowl the dark knight series is the only batman series you see where it completely covers his cheeks and jawline you only see right here on his face if you look at every other incarnation we've had we get more of his jawline more depth and definition there which i mean i guess again if you're going for realism you want to try and hide your identity a little bit more that that would kind of help I mean, you know,
1: it's just it's one of those things about this movie, you know, like one of the biggest complaints is that people just not being able to know that Bruce Wayne is Batman and all that kind of stuff. And if we're just simply talking about it uh, from a narrative perspective, you know, you have Batman that pretty much stays in Gotham City. You have Bruce Wayne that pretty much stays in Gotham City. Batman becomes a wanted man. He leaves. Around that same exact time, Bruce Wayne becomes a recluse. And then eight years later, Bruce Wayne pops back up into public for the yeah. very first time in eight years. And then like two <laughs> nights later, Batman <laughs> makes his big magical appearance again. Like, gee, I wonder. This has been and one like... of my biggest arguments about this.
0: When people want to try and complain that, how do they not tell that Clark Kent is Superman? Goes, well, I guess glasses just makes that big of a difference. And I'm like, Superman has latent hypnotic abilities. Like, you need to actually one day read his list of superpowers, you idiots, look, to I, really understand why that works. I
1: want everyone, you know, uh, Zoe Des- Deschanel, everyone pretty much knows her, you know, with her bangs and she wears glasses and all of that kind of stuff. I implore you to get online and look up a picture of her where she's not wearing glasses and she doesn't have bangs and tell me. Like, look at those two pictures side by side and tell me that if you were just simply walking down the street and you would walk past her one day and then walk past her again the next day without knowing her and seeing her on, like, a daily basis and all of that kind of stuff, like, that you would absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be able to say, oh, yeah, that's the same person. You would. Like, no, there's you would not.
0: Now, for a long time, I honestly didn't know that... Uh... Katy Perry was a real person when I was younger. I thought that what? she was. Hold on. I thought she was a Saturday Night Live portrayal for, from Zoe Chanel. Like, I thought that's how she was trying to explore her artistic. I was quickly, quickly proven wrong on that when I saw her on Warp Tour. So I want to say that this did not last a super long time. There's, but, a, there's a pretty
1: big difference between Katy Perry and Zoe in a certain. There's you know, two different. There's two bodily Bodily area. There's two, two like, big physical differences. Wow. Well. Okay. All right. But uh, anyway.
0: No, um. This series, as time has gone by, because they can't seem to get out of their own damn way in making new Batman movies, it almost holds it up higher and higher and higher as compared to other films. And I'm not saying that they're not great Batman films. I am simply stating that these are films that if you remove the idea of Batman from them, they still maintain what the movie really is at its core. You can't necessarily make that same argument about a lot of other superhero films. And to me, that's one of the weak points of the movies. Because, like I've said, like I said last week, if you remove the Joker, if you remove the idea of the Batman from the Dark Knight and keep everything else the same, it's still a damn good crime thriller. Yeah. You know, Batman begins, you remove Batman from it and just have Bruce Wayne just be like he could be like a, a cop or something. And it's the idea of someone who was. A member of Gotham's prominent family leaves and comes back and tries to do what he can to make his city a safe place to live. You can take Batman out of those movies and they still maintain the movies they are. And while that makes them excellent movies, to me, it does kind of detract a little bit from the idea of them being excellent Batman movies.
1: Well, I mean, you know, you always run into that issue whenever you try to make a realistic version of you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Let's, um, you know, obviously he's attached to the MCU now and all of that. Spoiler alert. But, um, and that's as far as I'm going to go with that. But uh, Daredevil, the Netflix yeah. the Netflix TV series and all of that kind of stuff. You take the, you know, that was a very realistic show for all intents and purposes mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, by all means, you take away like the blindness and the supernatural ability to be able to still see even though he's blind and all that kind of stuff, and just make him, you know, a regular cop or something. It's about, you know, it's about the same thing, but, you know, I mean, there's uh, a lot of similarities with Batman and Daredevil in some regards, and then they're very, very different in other regards.
0: So, And another more recent example, Moon Knight finally got a series. Moon Knight is finally in the greater live-action medium at large, and they openly altered a character in that. Moon Knight uh, suffers from Dissociative Identity Disorder. He has multiple personalities. One of those personalities, the character Stephen Grant, in the comics, is a rich, billionaire, playboy philanthropist who moonlights, no pun intended, as a vigilante that beats criminals to a pulp with his bare fists. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? He's got a very striking suit. He has an unlimited list of gadgets. Like, because uh And I firmly believe that it's because of the Dark Knight trilogy there and the impact this film has had going forward... They changed it to where Stephen Grant now is just a bumbling idiot that works at a gift shop. Yeah,
1: I mean, <laughs> the, these movies absolutely had a major impact on uh, not just the superhero genre, but in, in film in general. And, um, you know, yeah, this final film came out in uh, 2012. And now here we are, 2022, you know, 10 years later. We're on our second live-action Batman, fixing to get another one back with Michael Keaton and all of that kind of stuff. And there is still a whole ton of people out there that's like, Bale was, they just, Bale is their favorite. And again... A lot, a lot of times they'll say Bale is the best, but I think that gets in the way of what the, state,
0: the statement they're actually trying to make in which Bale is their favorite. Because... That's a much more applicable thing that I'd say that they should say. People oftentimes will confuse favorite with best in comparing, whether it's media, sports, whatever the case may be. And I, I said just a little bit ago, and I'll repeat, I felt that Christian Bale was an excellent Bruce Wayne, but I felt like as a Batman goes, he was middle of the road. And it will burn me until the day it's ever rectified, if it's ever rectified, that we finally got a truly accurate to the comics, games... All kinds of media you could ever want. We had Bruce Wayne Batman, and y'all couldn't stand the fact that it was freaking Ben Affleck, and you threw hissy fits. Him. Oh, but you're
1: so happy that it's a little sparkling vampire now, and you sit and, there and be like, he's the most perfect Batman, and this and that. we Probably we've never read a real... Batman
0: comic book in your freaking life or anything like that. Like, just, no. We got no. into that a little bit last week, and I don't really want to get off on it too much this week. All I will say again on that is that your opinion and my opinion on the movie did differ. Um, I will never claim it was the perfect Batman movie, because it wasn't, Pat- Pattinson was not the best Batman. None of that was the best of anything they could have done. But it did its job, and it got me interested in seeing a second movie. Oh, I'll especially watch the second Especially one. when you take into consideration the fact that apparently he is a lifelong fan of Batman. Pattinson is going to be involved a little bit more in the production side of the second movie, and it is his wish, no, it is his wish that they use the Court of Owls. With the Batman that they have set up in the Batman, Court of Owls is a logical next step. Because without going into too many spoilers on that, in the Batman, you know, this is very much a Bruce that doesn't care about being Bruce. He only cares about being Batman, and he only cares about the mission, and through the course of the film is when he finds out you know he needs to be both the logical next step would be you know bruce wayne trying to fit in with gotham trying to do what he's supposed to do as somebody rich and the idea of the court of owls is that everybody that's rich and influential throughout gotham and in other areas they all work together so naturally they're going to want bruce wayne so if if we get a trailer for the second batman movie and you see a talon or anything of that effect or a mask or anything I am going to be very, very excited to see that follow-up.
1: Oh, yeah, same here. Like, uh, I will definitely be looking forward to it. I mean, you know, uh, like I said, you know, I tend to over-exaggerate my opinion a lot of times just because I'm playing it up for the audience and all that. (laughs) There were aspects of the film that I did enjoy. But overall, mostly, I did not care for the movie. Uh, At the end of the day, I'm a big Batman fan. I will watch a second one. Whenever it comes out, I
0: mean... And I'm, it's I'm, entirely I'm possible. <laughs> it's entirely possible that by the time the second movie comes out, if you watch the first and then watch the second, your opinion may shift on the first a little bit with what they do with the second film.
1: Ah, it's man. not likely. I'm no, just saying no. it's no. possible.
0: Uh, unfortunately, usually once
1: my once my opinion is uh, made about a film, it it doesn't tend to budge.
0: It's changed a few times. I there's, was about to say, I can think of a couple of examples where your opinion on something has shifted, and one of which seems completely out of left field. And I'll just say two words, Randy Orton. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, not, not going to lie. Um, uh, you know, wrestling fan
1: here. And there, there was a time that I could not stand Randy Orton hated him. He was my least favorite, uh, superstar around and all of that. And then seemingly overnight, um, like I hated him Sunday night at the pay-per-view and I was kind of like, oh yeah, Randy's here on Monday night. Raw, And my brother looks at me and he's like, what are you doing? I'm not like, what are you talking about? He's like, what are, you, what are you happy to see Orton for? And I'm like, oh my God,
0: I don't know. Like, <laughs> so yeah, uh, sometimes things change. We will have a greater Batman conversation at a later time because at an undecided top point in the future, myself, you, and Ian are going to talk about the 1989 Batman film. Yep. To me, that movie is still probably the best individual Batman film. Oh yeah, Absolutely. I'll fight you for it. You won't have <laughs> to fight me for not, it. Not you. I'm talking to them. <laughs> I'll fight any one of them. <laughs> so, uh, I had enjoyed looking into this trilogy. Unfortunately, again, I don't know if it's because of what happened in the theater or what the case may be. There's just not as many details readily available about the production and follow-out, or fallout rather, of The Dark Knight Rises. So, it's it's a situation we can do nothing about. All we can do is, again, hope that something like that does not occur again. I had a blast these last two weeks. I really I think it would have been even fun a lot more fun if you'd join me on the first one too. Things happen, things get in the way. Nothing to do about that. So this was the Dark Knight trilogy. Next week, I was planning on talking about the Adams family, but I have decided to put that one off by week so that I can just talk about Lawless. So Lawless, I'm gonna talk have you have you seen Lawless?
1: Is that the Tom Hardy film? Tom Hardy, Shia LaBeouf, yes. Yep, Yep. I've seen
0: it. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about that one next week because it's based on a real story. Uh, Then after that, I will talk about The Adam Family, and then I'll follow that up with Life of Pi. So those are going to be fun, and then probably after that, I will end up doing another retro review of some sort, and then I'll get back to my normal segments with a movie that you've already told me you'd like to join me on. So we're going to be talking about the Flintstones in about a month. Hot! No, yeah, buddy. I'll be here for that. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm glad you could join me. Uh, this isn't the end of the night for you and me because we're going to be going to watch UFC event in a little bit. Oh, yeah. So that'll, that'll be fun. And, uh, yeah. All right, everybody. That pretty much <laughs> does it. Yes, it does. <laughs> Again, Cal has multiple shows now. He doesn't just have Kaiju Carnage. He has a follow-up show as well. Uh yeah
1: yeah it's called Cal the Kaiju Guy uh reviews a movie but uh I was planning on coming out with more but I'm probably going to just combine the reviews a movie with the watches a movie and all of that kind of stuff it'll be I'll I'll just be able to cover any kind of movie that I want and all that kind of stuff very similar to uh, what Kid Kong does because yep. uh, just you know he and I have a lot of the same movies we like and all that but then there are other movies that obviously mean way more to me than they do him that I would like to cover. And I mean, you know, like, I'm not saying you don't like the movie. I'm looking at your copy of it right now, but let's be honest here. There's, there's a much bigger difference in appreciation between how I feel about Conan the Barbarian and how you feel about Conan the Barbarian.
0: That Conan the Barbarian was given to me by Ian because I didn't own it.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, I'm just saying like Conan the Barbarian, the original film that's in my top five favorite movies of all time. Like, you know, and I would like to cover that. I'm a big Alien fan. I'm a big Predator fan and all that. Like, uh...
0: I did cover Aliens in my archive.
1: Yep, and I covered Alien in Kaiju Carnage. Hey! Maybe one day
0: we'll work together to cover ABT.
1: (laughs) Maybe. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so... Go check those out. It's called Cal the Kaiju Guy Reviews the Movie. And then my other podcast, uh, Kaiju Carnage, a Godzilla slash King Kong podcast. And you have a companion piece for that one, don't you? Uh, wow. I just started a new segment this week at the time of this recording. And it's called uh, The Weekly Kaiju Havoc. And I just simply talk about like different um, kaiju news and stuff like that. Like new movies that's coming out, updates on new TV shows, new collectibles that are being released. And all of that, and then I try to get my listeners more engaged by giving them like polls of the week, yeah, questions of the week, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I also have a YouTube, Cal the Kaiju Guy of Kaiju Carnage. I mainly just do unboxings of Kaiju related. You can also find him on TikTok. Statues. Yes, I'm on TikTok as well, Cal the Kaiju Guy. And Instagram. And Instagram, Cal the Kaiju Guy. Pretty much, if
0: you can look up Cal the Kaiju Guy, you'll find it. It's on that, that's me. Trademark <laughs> pending. <laughs> okay. so that being said i hope you guys had fun i hope you guys enjoyed staying with me for the dark Knight trilogy if you didn't like batman movies i don't blame you for checking out these last three weeks it is what it is i appreciate every single one of you i hope you guys continue to listen and also friendly reminder that today mark this is the ninth april 9th um it is yes today april 9th is the 26th anniversary day of the day that Tremors 2 came out. I covered the first Tremors way back on episode four of my show. That series holds a very near and dear place to my heart. So if you want to go ahead and check it back out again, I implore you to do so. Outside of that, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I am Kid Kong. He's Cal the Kauju Guy. I will see you at the movies.